Due to the graphic nature of this story, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of medical afflictions that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In 1969, Hester lived full-time as a patient at the Beth Abraham Hospital in New York City. She couldn't move or speak and spent every day in a wheelchair staring ahead at nothing. For over two decades, her mind had been asleep inside her body. She required constant care from nurses and doctors. No one understood her affliction or its cause. She'd come down with a strange sleeping sickness years before and never recovered. Now, Hester's doctors were giving her a new experimental medication. She couldn't chew, so they mixed the drug into her applesauce and spoon-fed it to her. Minutes later, Hester felt something different inside her brain. The fog of apathy that clouded her mind cleared. The tension in her muscles relaxed. Her fingers twitched. After 20 years locked in a frozen body, Hester could move. She could even walk. Hester bolted upright from her chair on her own two feet. The doctors and nurses stared in shock as Hester paced briskly up and down the ward with a smile on her face. She opened her mouth and uttered her first words in years. What do you think of that, eh? The drug appeared to be a miracle, but Hester's transformation was not a cure. The sleeping sickness could still come back, and if it did... Hester's doctors had no idea how to stop it. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we examine history's most compelling mysteries— You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our second episode on the sleeping sickness pandemic, an unexplained disease that left its victims in an inescapable coma. Many patients who survived the disease spent the rest of their lives paralyzed, frozen in a waking sleep. Last time, we explored how the pandemic began in the 1910s and how doctors tried to fight it. We also learned how it spread in the bloody trenches of World War I and reached so many corners of the globe without anyone finding a cure. Today, we'll discuss how doctors tried to bring the survivors back to consciousness and why the mystery of the disease continues to this day. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad, too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. 
Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. In the aftermath of the First World War, disease outbreaks swept across the globe. The Spanish flu infected a third of the world's population and killed at least 50 million people, while diphtheria and polio pandemics wreaked their own havoc. Each disease made international headlines and terrified populations around the world. But another equally fatal disease attracted far less attention. It first emerged in Europe in 1916 and spread to the United States two years later. Through the next decade, it infected millions of people. Doctors called it encephalitis lethargica, but most simply refer to it as the sleeping sickness. It killed almost half of its victims, although some would consider surviving the disease a fate worse than death. For many survivors, the sleeping sickness caused another disease called post-encephalitic Parkinsonism. It hijacked patients' bodies, causing severe muscle tremors, stiffness, and weakness. It made daily life difficult. Victims would often need assistance with basic motor functions, like washing their face or preparing a meal. But for many, the disease progressed to complete immobility. These patients would be trapped inside bodies their brains could no longer control. Like living statues, they were unmoving and unresponsive, but entirely awake. Most doctors believed this frozen state was permanent. There was no hope left, no personality left inside them to unlock. But one young doctor disagreed. In 1966, 33-year-old doctor Oliver Sachs arrived at the Beth Abraham Hospital in New York City. There were 80 survivors of the sleeping sickness pandemic living there, all suffering from severe cases of post-encephalitic Parkinsonism. Some could function enough to communicate and take care of basic needs. They could feed themselves and hold conversations. Others couldn't move, talk, or care for themselves at all. At best, these patients only had short reactionary consciousness. They might respond to an alarm clock going off, but they'd always return to their frozen state, as though their mind was powering down again. The hospital staff focused on improving the living conditions of the healthier patients. The doctors and nurses fostered community to help ease the loneliness, depression, and isolation that came with permanent hospitalization. Even the luckiest patients knew they would be at the hospital for the rest of their lives. There was no cure. Doctors still didn't understand what caused the original disease, let alone the resulting symptoms. The other major pandemics of the 1920s had all been effectively neutralized. 
Vaccines existed to protect against the flu, diphtheria, and polio. But when the sleeping sickness disappeared so abruptly in 1927, so did most research on the disease. In the 40 years since, medical researchers moved past caring about sleeping sickness treatments. Meanwhile, the survivors suffered daily with the aftereffects of their forgotten illness. But in 1967, Dr. Sachs found an experimental new treatment that gave him hope. It was called levodopa. Also known as L-dopa, levodopa is an amino acid produced by the human body. Inside the brain, neurons transform L-dopa into dopamine, the neurochemical that influences mood. Dopamine plays a large role in motivation, reward, and pleasure. Doctors and scientists had known about L-dopa for decades, but they considered it a useless byproduct of the body. In fact, some believed it was potentially toxic because it's known to occasionally cause nausea and vomiting. By the 1960s, neurologists had a better idea of how brain chemicals functioned and the important role of dopamine. Doctors discovered that the brains of Parkinson's patients had damaged dopamine-producing neurons. They essentially didn't get any dopamine at all. Dr. Sachs theorized that because the sleeping sickness survivors weren't getting dopamine, their sense of motivation and reward had been eliminated. He imagined that if dopamine increased, their condition might improve. If he was right, L-DOPA could be a game-changer in treating the survivors of sleeping sickness. He paid close attention to reports of other doctors experimenting with L-DOPA. In 1967, a doctor in nearby Long Island, New York, gave large doses of L-DOPA to patients with Parkinson's disease. And the drug worked. The Parkinson's patients experienced a significant improvement in their condition. They were able to take control of their bodies, managing muscle tremors and weakness more easily. This experiment proved that a lack of dopamine was a major cause of their symptoms. But while Parkinson's disease and post-encephalitic Parkinsonism are similar, they are not the same. Parkinson's is a specific neurodegenerative brain disorder that causes tremors, stiffness, and loss of motor control. The term Parkinsonism refers to any condition that causes symptoms similar to Parkinson's disease, like the kind suffered by the sleeping sickness survivors. Just because L-DOPA worked for patients with Parkinson's disease didn't mean it would work for the patients with more severe symptoms, the so-called living statues. But Dr. Sachs was determined to try. Unfortunately, the drug was initially prohibitively expensive. It took two years for the hospital to afford enough L-DOPA for Dr. Sachs to begin his trial. But in the spring of 1969, he was ready to administer L-DOPA to his patients. The experiment was risky. At best, the treatment could have the same effect as it did for Parkinson's patients. But using L-DOPA had unpredictable results. It could make his patients' conditions worse. Dr. Sachs's patients had other complicated symptoms locked underneath their frozen exterior. Many patients exhibited hyperactivity and violent behaviors in the past, which only stopped with their eventual paralysis. 
Dr. Sachs could only imagine what might emerge if they regained consciousness. But he had to try. Many of his patients were elderly and deteriorating rapidly. This was their only chance at having a few healthy years before they passed. So, in March 1969, Dr. Sachs gave out the first doses of L-DOPA, knowing it could either cure his patients or cripple them. Coming up, the sleeping sickness survivors face a difficult choice. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day, desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Hageman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath. From murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify. Now, back to the story. For 50 years, many survivors of the sleeping sickness pandemic were trapped in a catatonic state. They were ravaged by the aftereffects of encephalitis lethargica, which caused a devastating form of Parkinsonism. It left them severely disabled, unable to move their own bodies. In early 1969, at Beth Abraham Hospital in New York City, Dr. Oliver Sachs tested an experimental drug called L-DOPA. He hoped the medication, which essentially flooded the brain with dopamine, could wake his patients from their endless slumber. First, Dr. Sachs gave L-DOPA to his patients who had shown no signs of consciousness, one of whom was a 55-year-old woman named Hester. Hester contracted encephalitis lethargica when she was 30 years old. Though she survived the sleeping sickness, she was left with a severe case of post-encephalitic Parkinsonism that took away her personality and mobility. Devastated, her husband and children brought Hester to Beth Abraham Hospital five years later. As the years went on, they became too distraught by her condition to visit. She was left alone for decades until Dr. Sachs took an interest in her case. On May 16, 1969, Dr. Sachs gave Hester a large dose of L-DOPA. Half an hour later, Hester jumped up out of her wheelchair fully conscious. The doctors and nurses watched in shock as Hester circled the ward. Hester was happy and talking. She repeatedly asked the doctors what they thought of her quick pace. It was a stunning turn of events, since she hadn't taken a step or spoken a word in years. 
Over the next few days, Hester chatted up every doctor, nurse, and patient who crossed her path. She rejected her usual liquid meals and demanded a steak. She even wrote in a diary, documenting all of her emotions as they returned. Surprisingly, Hester also had memories of the 20 years she spent catatonic. She was aware of her surroundings the entire time. She just couldn't interact with anyone. And because the disease took away all her emotions, she also didn't care. She only felt apathy. But as the emotions flooded back on L-Dopa, Hester wrote extensively about her time asleep, remembering what she'd been through. And Hester wasn't alone. For most patients, it appeared L-Dopa was the miracle drug Dr. Sachs hoped it could be. The other patients at the Beth Abraham Hospital had positive reactions to L-Dopa, though not quite as dramatic as Hester's. They were newly able to talk, walk, and write. Some could even dance. One patient, a 62-year-old man named Aaron, improved so much that he was able to leave the institution and move back home. The rest of the patients on the ward were excited and hopeful to see Aaron leave. If one of them could improve enough to return home, maybe they all could. But within days of their first dose of L-Dopa, some patients felt their other symptoms return. Psychosis, hallucinations, and violent impulses all emerged as their minds flooded with dopamine. Some exhibited erratic and violent behavior, while others suffered from horrifying hallucinations, manic episodes, and delusions. Many of them had to be sedated to prevent them from harming others or themselves, including Hester. After a week on L-Dopa, Hester began suffering from paranoia, violent tremors, and bouts of hysteria, a stark contrast to the first days of her awakening. She went from writing upbeat, ecstatic diary entries to filling her journal with feverish, nonsensical scrawling. She ranted about how the doctors were torturing her and vowed revenge against fellow patients who'd allegedly done her wrong. Dr. Sachs responded by significantly reducing the dosages of L-Dopa or taking patients off the medication entirely. As Hester became more unruly, he asked her which she preferred, less medication or none at all. After some convincing, Hester agreed to have her L-Dopa dosage lowered to one gram a day. Her paranoia and rage decreased to manageable levels. But the violence and mania was replaced by a deep depression. She became crippled with grief over losing decades of her life and racked with guilt over the pain her illness put her family through. The mental anguish and emotions were too much to handle. After just one week, Hester begged Dr. Sachs to take her off L-Dopa and let her return to her catatonic state. She would prefer to be a living statue than to continue riding such an emotional roller coaster. Dr. Sachs did as his patient asked. By the following morning, Hester fell back into her waking coma. Her psychosis and aggressive behavior stopped. She no longer seemed to be bothered by any emotions at all. After a few weeks, Dr. Sachs and his team tried giving Hester L-Dopa again. 
They still wanted to give her a chance to live a conscious life. More sensitive to the drug now, the doctors gave her a much smaller dose, around 750 milligrams, a fifth of her original dosage. The lower dosage seemed to work. Hester regained some of her consciousness and movement, though she wasn't quite as mobile as the first time around. More importantly, however, her mental anguish, physical tics, and violent urges lowered to the point where she could manage them. Sadly, Hester's case was an exception. As time went on, the drug had wildly different effects between patients. Some managed to find a good regimen of L-DOPA and reclaimed some amount of consciousness. They were able to hold conversations and perform simple tasks. But others had an extremely negative reaction to the drug, developing new symptoms like hyperactivity and aggression, and were taken off L-DOPA immediately. One patient named Rachel was almost completely immobile before the L-DOPA treatment, but she could still talk and joke. Her communication and personality remained intact through her decades of disease. But after 10 days on L-DOPA, Rachel's condition deteriorated. She suffered from severe hallucinations and aggression and became extremely paranoid and vocal. She screamed at the top of her lungs for 24 hours a day. Dr. Sachs stopped her L-DOPA regimen as soon as possible, but her psychosis and mania continued for several weeks after being taken off. A month later, Rachel's delirium finally subsided. But so did her personality. Before L-DOPA, she could talk and hold conversations. After L-DOPA, she couldn't speak or interact at all. Seven weeks later, she died of pneumonia. And Rachel wasn't alone. A number of patients' conditions became significantly worse after the drug trial. Some fell into an even deeper sleep. But most patients simply slipped back into their catatonic state after a few weeks as their bodies built up a tolerance to the drug. Even Aaron's condition, the patient who improved enough on L-DOPA to move back home, eventually declined again. He returned to Beth Abraham within a matter of months and never left again. L-DOPA was a miracle to some, but poison to others. Dr. Sachs uncovered a major clue in treating sleeping sickness survivors, the lack of dopamine. But he had no idea how to determine which patients would be helped by L-DOPA. Which made it difficult to justify continuing the trial. Since 1940, there have only been about 200 reported cases of encephalitis lethargica worldwide. With so few opportunities to study the disease, another 35 years passed before doctors discovered another clue. In 2002, the last known survivor of the sleeping sickness outbreak in England died at the age of 82. Philip Leather was a former child piano prodigy before being infected with encephalitis lethargica at six years old. By age 12, he was catatonic and living in a mental institution where he spent the next 70 years. After his death, doctors in London performed an autopsy on his brain. With modern technology and neurological research, doctors were hopeful that they could identify the cause of the sleeping sickness and whether it was viral. 
For years, doctors had assumed that some sort of virus had caused the sleeping sickness. But their tests confirmed it wasn't. Their assumption had been completely wrong. But just a few miles from the hospital, where Leather's autopsy was performed, another doctor was investigating a far more terrifying possibility. Dr. Dale Russell was also studying the sleeping sickness, but he wasn't looking at samples from patients from the 1920s. He had tissue from living patients, and it appeared they were victims of a present-day outbreak. Dale had several patients near London with symptoms of muscle weakness, fatigue, and fevers. Their personalities seemed like they were sapped away by illness. He was certain they were infected by the sleeping sickness. And all of them were children. Unless something was done, each child likely faced a tragic fate. And if it was as contagious as it had been a century before, the disease could spread far and wide. Solving the mystery of the sleeping sickness wasn't an academic exercise anymore. Doctors had to find the cause, and fast. If they failed, the world was likely facing another lethal pandemic. Coming up, the modern hunt to solve the mystery of the sleeping sickness. Now, back to the story. From 1915 through 1927, a mysterious sleeping sickness originating in Europe spread around the world, killing thousands and infecting millions. Around 1927, the global outbreak abruptly and inexplicably ceased. But the survivors were left suffering from debilitating symptoms. Many entered catatonic states and were institutionalized for the remainder of their lives. In the 1960s, Dr. Oliver Sacks experimented with an experimental drug, L-DOPA, and succeeded in waking up many catatonic patients. But those improvements didn't last long. Though Sachs learned more about the brain, it didn't solve the mystery of the sleeping sickness. As the decades progressed, doctors shifted their focus to more pressing issues. For the rest of the 20th century, there were only a handful of new cases of encephalitis lethargica around the world. Then, nearly 80 years after the initial pandemic ended, the disease suddenly re-emerged and threatened a whole new generation of patients and doctors. In 2002, English pediatrician Russell Dale noticed bizarre symptoms in a few of his patients. They were lethargic, weak, and their personalities seemed to vanish into a blank statue-like body. Dale monitored the exact symptoms, ran blood tests, and looked at brain scans to find a prognosis. When he compiled the evidence, he realized the children were suffering from encephalitis lethargica. Dale contacted other doctors in England and uncovered over 20 more cases. Unlike the wide range of patients in the 1920s, all of these modern patients were children. Dale and his colleagues pored over historical cases and information. After comparing these records and their modern-day case files, they noticed a common symptom in every patient. Sore throats. In the old medical records, Dale found that the sleeping sickness patients of the 1920s also experienced sore throats. 
But because they were so mild and common, especially in children, it was overlooked. But Dale and the other doctors checked their patients and discovered that all of them were infected with a rare type of Streptococcus bacteria. Most Streptococcus bacteria are harmless, but some can cause serious illnesses. For example, one type, Diplococcus, causes symptoms that are eerily similar to Encephalitis lethargica. Dale wasn't the first doctor to investigate Streptococcus bacteria as the cause of the sleeping sickness. During the initial pandemic, several doctors considered it. One at the Mayo Foundation even pulled all of his patients' teeth out because he believed the bacteria could be infecting the mouth and causing the condition. But the Diplococcus bacteria couldn't account for all the symptoms occurring in the brain. So most doctors rejected the theory. Then, over time, doctors learned more about the human body's immune system, which defends against infection. Specifically, they discovered that the immune system can sometimes fail and actually attack healthy human cells. But nobody thought to apply this new information to a so-called outdated disease until the 2002 outbreak in children. Dr. Russell Dale and his colleagues theorized that in the body, the streptococcus bacteria confused the immune system because they looked similar to brain cells. The immune system's antibodies then attacked healthy brain cells instead of the bacteria, thereby causing damage and leading to the sleeping sickness. Many doctors were convinced by this explanation that it was a unique bacteria that sparked an autoimmune disease which damaged the brain. However, it still didn't explain where the bacteria came from. And unfortunately, it was too late to save the children who'd already fallen ill. They descended into comas, and many became living statues. There's no public information about the outcome or the current state of those 25 patients diagnosed by Russell Dale. Luckily, those cases were isolated, and the illness didn't spread. But if encephalitis lethargica does make a resurgence and becomes a pandemic as it did a century ago, doctors today might have enough information to combat it. They know more about the brain than ever before, and they've also learned from other sleeping sicknesses around the world. Over the course of the 20th century, another similar illness called trypanosomiasis spread throughout the continent of Africa. Even today, thousands of people fall ill with the disease annually. It causes similar symptoms to encephalitis lethargica, like sleepiness, muscle weakness, and paralysis. Like the pandemic of the 1920s, some patients constantly fell asleep and, bizarrely, also suffered from bouts of insomnia. But unlike encephalitis lethargica, the modern sleeping sickness in Africa isn't a mystery. Doctors know exactly what causes it. A single-celled parasite spread by biting flies. When it hits the bloodstream, the parasite rapidly multiplies. It attacks vital organs and overwhelms the central nervous system. However, even with this knowledge, treatment is difficult and risky. The main way to combat the disease is with medication derived from arsenic, which can cause brain damage. 10% of patients who take it develop brain inflammation that also carries a 50% mortality rate. As with encephalitis lethargica, 
the African sleeping sickness was overshadowed for decades by a larger pandemic, HIV and AIDS. But in the last few years, there's been a significant push by global health authorities and charities to battle the lesser-known sickness. The African sleeping sickness isn't the only one that exists today, either. In March 2013, another sleeping sickness that baffled doctors appeared in Kazakhstan. Over the course of two years, the villages of Kalachi and Krasnogorsk were hit by a bizarre sleeping sickness nicknamed Sleepy Hollow. Between 2013 and 2015, it infected 140 people, nearly 20% of the area's population. According to local reports, the sickness even affected the village's pets. Sick villagers fell asleep without warning, and often for days on end. They complained of weakness, grogginess, and headaches. During their coma-like sleep, many patients had no memory of anything that had happened, while others experienced severe hallucinations. Eventually, authorities found the likely cause. The closed uranium mines occasionally created a buildup of carbon monoxide, which reduced the level of oxygen in the village's air. The sleeping sickness was most likely the result of accidental oxygen deprivation. All these diseases are uniquely puzzling and terrifying because they affect one of the least understood functions of the human body, sleep. It's an inherent part of human life, yet scientists still don't know why humans sleep. Its exact function and purpose, even what parts of the brain are involved, are still up for debate. And while the sleeping sicknesses in Africa and Asia are now understood, encephalitis lethargica is still a baffling mystery. Even the best hypothesis, that the disease was caused by a bacteria triggering an autoimmune disorder, is not confirmed. While doctors found evidence of the bacteria in sleeping sickness patients, they can't explain where the bacteria came from or how it spread across the world with such speed and ferocity. This means that the sleeping sickness, one of the deadliest and most devastating pandemics in human history, remains one of the most significant unsolved medical mysteries of the last century. Hopefully, medical research catches up before there are more patients who need it. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. For more information on the sleeping sickness, among the many sources we used, we found Awakenings by Oliver Sacks to be extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Ryan Lee, with writing assistance by Andrew Messer and Connor Sampson. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein, and research by Bradley Klein. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Thank you.